How do you plead? Guilty or not guilty? Cell phones and driving don't mix. <laughs> Rules and regulations, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. I actually went on the internet to look up a whole bunch of new rules and saw many headlines about rules and regulations for 2011, weird rules in different states and such. You probably heard this at the end of 2011. The federal government is trying to get every state to pass a law that nobody can use cell phones in their car. No hands-free devices, no Bluetooth, nothing. Just can't use cell phones in the car. It's up to the states but they're trying to exert some pressure and influence to keep that from happening. Rules and regulations can be annoying, <laughs> especially when we don't understand the purpose of the rules. Some rules and regulations we get, we appreciate, we understand, but some of them are just like, what? Why did you even put that on there? And some are just stupid. Like I had this uh, fold-out cardboard sunshade for my car, and on the back of it, it said, do not drive with this in place. Gee, thanks. And I was just going to do that, too. Silly things like that. But I'm sure somebody did it, sued somebody, so they had to put it on the back of everybody's, you know. I talked to my children. I talked to Michaela. And I said, what are, you take care of children a lot. So what are some rules that you have to give to little children, real little ones, that they may not understand or appreciate, but they have to do it anyway? And I got a list from her, and I added some of my own. One of the things she said is, only one person's allowed on the slide at a time. Which, if you're four years old, that doesn't make any sense. Look how long the ladder is. There's all sorts of room. And you can get up on top and make a train. But we know four- and five-year-olds aren't the smartest when it comes to their safety. And they'll get up on the top of this huge slide, start pushing each other and standing up where they shouldn't be standing. Not one at a time keeps it safe. To us, it makes perfect sense. To them, it's just a rule. But I found this interesting about children. They have the most rules, more rules than anybody. And the most restrictive rules, too. And they understand them the least. We have rules, some we understand, some we don't. They don't understand any of our rules. But they follow them. They need a little guidance here and there, but they have the most, they understand the least, and they follow the most, which is very interesting. No roughhousing. No cookies for dinner. Got to go to bed early. They have a bunch of rules for the little ones. And as we get older, the rules change. The rules never go away, but they change. And as we get older, some of them we understand, some we don't. You know, Joe, I think I'm a bit hot. If you could turn me down, I'd appreciate that. I'm scaring myself. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> hey, our pastor said he's hot. <laughs> so the kids get older, and they have different rules. We don't tell them they have to go to bed at 7 o'clock anymore, but now they have curfew. Why do I have to have curfew? Well, because... If you don't get home before I go to bed, I may never know if you get home. 
And you may be in a ditch somewhere for eight hours before I hear about it, and that's just not acceptable. You've got to be home before I go to bed. Not only that, but the later it gets out at night, the later the, the, the creepier people that come out. Once you get you home before the creeps come out. Danger zone. And not only that, but you need more sleep than you're willing to give yourself. Learn a little self-control until then. I'll teach you some. Get into bed. Some rules make sense. Some don't, but we still have to keep them. Here's one that I think you'll all agree doesn't make any sense. When you're 18 years old, you can join the Army. You can be a Marine. You can go to Afghanistan, have guns, shoot people, and be shot at. You can die for your country. Come home when you're 19. Come home when you're 20, but you can't buy a pistol or a beer. That doesn't make any sense. Some rules make sense. Some rules don't make sense. But they're there. And then we get older as adults. New proposed law, the one I just shared with you. Talking on the cell phone while driving should be illegal. It is illegal in some states. Should be illegal in every state, this new proposed law says. So imagine this. They outlaw talking on the cell phone while somebody's messing with their stereo, eating a Whopper, and drinking a cappuccino. But at least they're not talking on the cell phone. You know? I, sometimes I think we overregulate ourselves. Enough already. You know, enough. We just try to make rules for everything. It, it doesn't work. How about just don't be stupid while you're driving? Make that the rule. <laughs> and give cops a little discretion in passing out stupid tickets. You know, I'd be okay with that. There used to be laws, and there still may be, about driving. It's called the distracted driver rule. If you're doing something that's distracting you while you're driving, you could be ticketed. That would cover the whole gamut, wouldn't it? Sure would. But, well, if we're going to have no cell phones, then we've got to have no donuts, no coffees, no stereos, don't mess with the air conditioner, and on and on it goes. Here's one that adults have to follow but probably don't appreciate. Why can't I get more time off of work? Why can't I come? What's the big deal if I come in 10 minutes late? Why can't I have a longer vacation? And those are usually the concerns and complaints of under management, people who are under management. Not the managers, not the owners, because they get it. People under management, that means they have managers over them, don't understand that you come in 10 minutes late, that throws off everybody else on staff at least 10 minutes. So now we're not talking 10 minutes. What if you've got 20 people on staff? That's 10 minutes times 20. Everybody's now behind because you were 10 minutes late. And well, why can't I get more time off? Because when you get time off, things stop. That's why you have a job, to keep things going. If you stay home, who does it? And the business starts to be less effective. You come in late, you take more time off, you call in sick when you shouldn't. The business becomes less, less effective. They make less money. Pretty soon, you're facing layoff, and you get mad at big business because they're so rude. So they, all they want is money. Well, maybe so, but still, help them be productive, and maybe they'll give you a better salary. Because this I know, as somebody who's done managing, even in this kind of environment, and ask any boss out there, if you're a good employee, they will bend over backwards to keep you, because you're hard to come by. Employees are easy to come by. Good employees are hard to come by. Layoff times come, you lay off the other ones first, not the good ones. You will bend over backwards to keep employees even when there's a drought. 
because you're afraid you might not be able to find them again when the drought's over. We all got rules. We got to live by them. They're annoying sometimes, but they're often very wise and very productive. Not always. But this I do know. We have to follow them even when we don't get them. I mean, the three-year-old doesn't understand why he can't have cookies for dinner, but he still can't have cookies for dinner. And it shouldn't be a requirement of rules that you have to agree with them and understand them to follow them. Because what would that mean? That would mean if you don't agree with it or understand it, then you don't have to do it. Complete and utter chaos. If we all had the right to decide which rules we were going to follow and which rules we weren't going to follow, this is called anarchy. You know, I think the stop sign should just be a suggestion. It just takes one person to, to think that up through. You know, kill a bunch of other people. It doesn't work, so you have to follow the rules, even if you don't like them or get them. Well, this brings us to God. He's got a bunch of rules, too. The rules we give to our little children, even when they don't understand them, even when they don't like them, are for their benefit. Every one of the rules. We don't give our little three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, seven-year-olds, ten-year-olds rules to make their lives miserable. We don't. Every rule we give them is to help make them safe, healthy, happy, and better. And to learn things so they can grow up and do things as they learn them. Would you agree with that? I don't think it's such a stretch, a stretch to say that's how God's rules are. They're there for our benefit. Teach us certain things to help us grow, help us be safe, help us to be wise, etc., etc. So I've got a handful of God's rules, some of them that we don't get or don't like or find too restrictive. The first one is one we may get, and we may even say we like it, but we never follow it, so I'm putting it in part of my list. Don't gossip. How many of you understand why the no gossip rule is part of the Bible? You get it. All right. And how many of you don't always follow it? Yeah. Well, what's, what's up with that? I don't, we're, you know what's up with that. We're just people. We, we mess up. But that's one of the rules that some people would say, oh, that's just too restrictive. Maybe intellectually or by our practice. But let me move on to some others. Treat others well, even if they treat you poorly. Now, as believers, we grow to understand that, but as a seeker or as a non-believer, a non-follower of God, we're like, well, you treat me bad, I'm going to treat you bad. Don't mess with me, I'll mess with you. Payback's a... <laughs> something believers don't do. Right? Other people do. Not us, because we're supposed to treat everybody well, even if they treat us poorly. Checking out the age group of the crew. No sex outside of marriage. Too restrictive. Don't get that one. Don't like that one. But it's in the book. You know how many people die from sexually transmitted diseases? You know how many lives are messed up by illegitimate births? And the list goes on and on. God's rules are not to ruin our good time. Cookies for dinner sounds like a good time. All it means is an upset stomach, rotten teeth, and malnutrition. But it sounds like a good time. God knows. We're the children. No sex outside of marriage. Or how about this one? This is probably the worst. If you get married, stay that way. Don't get divorced. But what if he's an idiot? 
Well, I'd recommend you find that out before you marry him. <laughs> but once you're in, you're in. Too restrictive. Don't like that rule. So, from the cell phone to marriage, God gives rules, people give rules, rules keep sanity in life, keep us healthy, keep us safe, keep us wise. All of this by introduction, because we're talking about King Solomon. King Solomon, as I mentioned to you before the holidays, was the wisest, wealthiest king who ever lived. I gave you a lesson called The Rise of King Solomon. It said silver was so worthless in Jerusalem during the days of Solomon that they didn't even use it. I told you about the gold and the jewels that he brought into his kingdom. They were so wealthy. That was the rise of King Solomon. Today's the fall of King Solomon. He started to break the rules. And it led to utter and complete chaos. Let me give you a little background. There's only a handful of rules in the Bible for the kings of Israel. It's funny. They were sovereigns. They were monarchs. They were kings. They could pretty much do whatever they wanted as long as it was within line of God's word. There were a handful of rules just for them. Let me read to you a couple of those rules. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. When he takes the throne of his kingdom... He's to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law, the law of God, the Torah. It is to be with him, and he's to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. So, don't marry lots of women and write out your own copy of the, of the law. Keep it and know it. By the way, I wish I had the, the, that discipline to do that. Could you imagine if you wrote out a copy of the Bible, how well you would know the Bible? He just had to write out the first part of it, but still, imagine how well he would... He'd know all the laws of God by heart because he wrote them down. And then he'd have his own copy to consult with all the time. He'd know exactly where it was because he wrote it there. Wow. He's the king. He's in charge of the laws of God. He's got to know them. Apparently, Solomon didn't pay attention to this part of the law. The very first thing I read to you, he is not to take many wives or his heart will be led astray. In the chapter that talks about the fall of Solomon, it starts with these words. Listen, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. Dun, 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 dun. You know, nothing else needs to be said. I know how that's going to turn out. Torah, don't marry many women. Foreign women especially, they will lead you astray. The foreigners worshipped other gods. Don't think you're going to take them into your house, into your life, and they're not going to rub off on you. They will. Don't do it. Not optional. Don't do it. However, King Solomon loved many foreign women. So how do you think this story is going to end? God says it will screw up your life and they'll rub off on you. Think it's going to screw up his life and rub off on him? Is God right? Hmm, let's read and find out. Because I just don't know. They were from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them, because they will certainly turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. So, what is it you want me to do, God? Not marry many foreign women? Say it again. Gotcha. I'll take it under advisement. 
take it under advisement. I'm not too upset with Solomon because that's how we all treat God. The ten suggestions. We just take it under advisement. And I don't say that to beat you up and make you feel like, oh, you're disobeying God because you're a bad person. It's like, these are for our benefit, people. That's why they're there. Solomon had to learn the hard way. Let me tell you a story. You've seen some of my pictures. I can show you more. Um, the Mount of Olives sits right in front of the Temple Mount. You go a little to the south, and there's another hill that's part of the Mount of Olive Range. They got a nice, beautiful park up there, flowers, overlooks the old city. It's really cool. I hadn't been up there before. I went up this time. And I asked the tour guide, what's the name of this hill? If that's the Mount of Olives, what's this one? He said, this is the Mount of Scandal. Well, that's a weird name. Where'd that come from? Let me tell you where the Mount of Scandal comes from. Solomon had all these wives. He built them houses and places to worship their idols, and he worshiped their idols. And guess where that happened? Right on the mountain overlooking the temple. Can you imagine the slap in God's face that was? And to this day, it's called the Mount of Scandal. Overlooking Jerusalem, the Mount of Scandal. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. Concubines were wives too, so I guess in this passage it would mean wives not of royal birth. Maybe wealthy merchant daughters, maybe just real hot girls that he wanted, I don't know. He had a thousand wives. Do the math. Do you think he even knew all their names? How many of you have a thousand friends and you know all their names? That a thousand? You know, if he spent a day with each one of them, it'd take him three years to get through them all. What do you do with a thousand wives? Man, Randy collects knives, he collects wives. I imagine he walked through his harem and just admired his collection. Hey, you're good looking. Did I marry you yet? Yes, two years ago. You're good. What's your name? Man, it's insane, really, when you think about it. And his many wives led him astray. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. I can almost understand somebody doing that that didn't know God. And I don't mean know about God. I mean Solomon met God personally twice. How do you do that? He was the wisest man in the world, but obviously not concerning women. The man went stupid. He got Twitter-pated. For those of you who saw my Facebook thing, put up the Twitter-pate. That's kind of when you just go so wacky in love that you can't think anymore. And he totally lost his life, his soul. He gave up everything 
crazy. Breaking rules has consequences. You know, if a child breaks the no cookies for dinner rule, what are the consequences? Maybe a slap in the butt from daddy who catches him. If it's ongoing, rotten teeth, bad health. Those are the consequences. And thinking about rules and consequences, it's weird. You know, if you steal $10,000 from somebody, that's a felony. You can go to prison. And well, you should. I'm not saying that's wrong. But in California, if you text while you're driving, that's called an infraction. That's a ticketable offense. You can't even go to jail for it. $10,000, nobody dies. Texting while you're driving, many have died. Imagine being the governor or the politician who runs on the platform that you're going to turn that into a felony. You'd be laughed out of the state. The point I'm trying to make is in our minds, we see the big rules with the big consequences and the little rules, and we think they have little consequences. But sometimes the little rules have bigger consequences than the big rules. You can't look at it that way. You never know what chaos is going to happen, even from the little rules. Shallow pool, no diving. Doesn't look that shallow to me. What you just did wasn't evil. It wasn't like committing adultery or murder. It was a little rule. But you just paralyzed yourself for life. Wow, that's harsh, Steve. Why did God do that? God? God didn't paralyze him. God gave him the smarts to put a sign up and everything. So, so kind of extrapolate that. I heard about a young lady who had premarital sex, first time, caught AIDS, might die young. That's mean. Why would God do that? God didn't do that. God said, don't do that, or that could happen. Well, it's really harsh. Yes, it's harsh. Those are the consequences of breaking the rules. Harsh things happen. Not good. We don't like it, but it happens. So don't do it. One of the cookie things I like about the cookie rules, you know, if you have a bunch of cookies on the counter and your child learns to walk by without touching them, that is an amazing thing. Do that with your dog. <laughs> Step away. You know, your dog got to be really trained not to touch those cookies. Those are the best of the best dogs. But you know what? Almost every child learns that rule. That's human nature 101, self-control. It's one of the reasons we give kids rules, to teach them self-control. You let them have at the cookies. You don't discipline them when they disobey you. That cookie's going to be a joint. It's going to be a crack pipe. Steve, are you really saying eating chocolate chippies is the same? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about self-control. We teach lessons, and they extrapolate down to bigger things. That's what I'm saying. Self-control is what keeps people from cascading out of control when they get older. So we have to instill it in our little children for their benefit, not for ours for them. These little things, they, they grow big. If we can't learn self-control as children, we're going to hurt as adults. That's what I'm trying to say. Breaking rules has consequences. I already told you about the diving rule, texting, climbing, signs that say do not climb, don't drill here. Lots of rules everywhere. Love the driving rules. How many of you know them all? I've been driving forever, and I don't know all the driving rules. I did something the other day. Andrew said, can you do that? I said, I don't know, but I'm doing it. 
I, had, I knew it enough at least to know it wasn't dangerous. That was the good thing. You know, I used to know the driving laws in California. I studied them so I could be a cop. But even cops don't know all the laws. They forget them. There's too many. So we do the best we can. But the reason they're there is to keep people safe. You get a ticket if your backup lights don't work. You get a ticket if your turn signals don't work. You get a ticket if your brake lights don't work. You get a ticket if your headlights don't work. And I'm glad. Because how many of you have almost rear-ended somebody whose brake lights didn't work? Let me see your hands. Yeah, you know, that could be, a, it, somebody could die. It's, it's, good, it's good rules. Well, ignoring rules can have will have consequences. Solomon broke the laws, broke the rules, and he was led astray. Wonder what the consequences were. Sometimes we won't see the immediate result of the consequences. Uh, infidelity, case in point. I, you know, people come to my office, they call me, I, I read stories, I know people personally, or I hear about them from other pastors, where one of the spouses commits infidelity. And usually, the stories I've been hearing, it's like, they don't put their toe in, they dive in. You know, they go from faithful and conservative to bar hopping and sleeping around every night of the week. They just, they go nuts. And they think they're really living it up. They're finally free. But then I get to watch for the next few months and in the next couple years. The finances, the divorce, the children, the in-laws, the cousins, the relatives, the jobs, the lawsuits, the fights. It's a nightmare. I don't know that they would have changed their mind even if they knew all those things were going to happen. But the consequences we don't always see right away. Sometimes they're down the road. Like I'm trying, Andrew's got this really cool car system, this audio system that Paul helped him put in. Sounds amazing. But every couple of weeks I'll say, make sure you don't put it up too loud. I mean, listen to it, enjoy it, but don't put it up too loud. You know, his hearing won't get damaged right away. It might not start going out until he's 30 or 40. But you've got to follow the rules now so you still have your hearing when you're 30 or 40. You know? You don't always see right away. You just got to trust the people who make the rules that they know what they're talking about. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord, God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Our decisions have consequences. We don't always appreciate that. But something hit me really hard. I saw a Facebook post that I po reposted. I want to show it to you. Did you guys see this? I want to ask God why he allows poverty, famine, and injustice in the world when he could do something about it. But I'm afraid he'd ask me the same question. Wow. Ain't that the truth? Wow. Our decisions have consequences. The world is exactly the way we have made it. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about we. And we are all in this together. Our decisions have consequences. Solomon separated from God, so God separated the kingdom from him. 
got a map here of the divided kingdom for you. Let me uh, get out my little pointer. Solomon was only Israel's third king. And already the kingdom's divided. Civil war, two nations are born. Civil war, not really. God stopped the civil war before it started. But they did try to stone and kill the king. That's Jerusalem. So you can see they're at the north end of the border of Judah. Israel divided into two nations. But it gets confusing for Bible readers because the northern nation was called Israel. The southern nation was called Judah. So in the Bible, when it says something, oh, Israel, what's it talking about? Is it the northern kingdom or all the people? Because altogether, they're sometimes called Israel because they're the descendants of Jacob who was renamed Israel. So when you read the Bible, you've got to stop and say, what Israel is it talking about here? Jacob, all of Jacob's children, descendants, or the northern kingdom? The southern kingdom is called Judah. Now, descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob today are called Jews from this word, Judah. That's what the word means. It's a synonym uh, from Judah. See, what happened is this northern kingdom went astray and fell apart and went away, and the only representative left of all the descendants were from this country. So all the descendants of these people were called Judahites, Jews. That's why they're all called Jews today. So you'll notice here you've got Judah with the capital, Jerusalem, and Israel, the capital, is Samaria. Don't get confused. Yes, you will hear the word Samaritan, which is pretty much a non-Jewish word in the Bible, but Samaria is the capital of Israel. I'll explain that some other day, but don't get confused. Now, here's what happened. God promised that he was going to take the kingdom away from Solomon's son, not from him directly because of his promise to David, but he was going to end the dynasty or at least limit the dynasty. So Solomon had a son, heir to the throne. His name was Rehoboam. Solomon had a rival. His name was Jeroboam, who fled to Egypt when Solomon was on the throne. But he heard that Solomon died, so he came back. Jeroboam confronted Solomon's son, Rehoboam, with all the tribes of Israel behind him and said, listen, your dad was too harsh. Taxes were too high. Forced labor was too much. Back off. Make life easier on us and we will serve you. And Rehoboam said, give me three days to think about what you're saying and meet me back here in three days. So Rehoboam consulted all of David's, all of Solomon's advisors, the ones that were still alive. And they were old, mature men, and they said, you know what they're asking is fine. Do it. You will win their hearts and their loyalty forever. Then he went and talked to his young counselors, the new guys. And they said, ah, oh, they're just whiners and complainers. You need to put down the hammer on this descent. Deal with it now. Treat them harder. And being the young, wise man that he was, he went with the advice of the young guys. And he met with the people and said, you thought my dad was hard. You watch and see what I'm going to do. My dad scourged you with whips. I'm going to scourge you with scorpions. And Jeroboam, who had already been told by God he was going to inherit 11 of the, uh, the tribes, 
blew the trumpet, said, Israel, follow me. We have nothing to do with these people anymore. We're forming our own nation. Wow. God had already promised him he was going to do that. So this Jeroboam was of God. This was God's way of fulfilling his promise. Rehoboam put together an army, and God said, no, you may not fight them. So he stopped the army. Rehoboam sent, in fact, he went with his chief over labor because they had to, it wasn't just taxes, they actually had to serve the government for a period of time. So he sent the chief of labor into those territories. They killed him, and Rehoboam fled for his life. And that's how the kingdoms separated. And they became totally separate nations. Even their dialect changed. Yeah, they both spoke Hebrew, but with a totally different accent. They were just as a different nation as Canada is from the United States. I mean, yeah, they, they speak the same language up there, but they are different. They have different laws, different political parts. We don't know their history. We don't know their culture. Eh? It's all different. What are you talking about? Difference. Same, but different. And the religion was different, too. Jeroboam did something really stupid. He established a whole new religion. I'll talk about it more in the coming weeks. But he set up a huge shrine right there. You think he wanted to challenge Jerusalem a wee bit? And another one right up there. The southern end of his kingdom and the northern end of his kingdom. And he started a new religion. See, he was afraid everybody would go back to Jerusalem to worship and it would make them want to go back to Judah. And so he said, hey, I'll fix that. I'll just start a whole new religion. Stupid. When Solomon followed God's laws, he became the wisest man on earth. He became the wealthiest man on earth. His kingdom prospered. His family prospered. Life was good. But when he broke the law, disobeyed, disregarded, took the rules under advisement, everything spiraled out of control, went into complete chaos. The wisest man became a fool. He abandoned God, worshipped idols. His kingdom was divided. And it never was reunited again. It was permanent damage. God's rules may seem stifling to us at times, but we've got to understand they're for our benefit. Even if you don't understand how they're for your benefit, they're for your benefit. Just consider yourself a three-year-old who doesn't get the cookie rule. And keep the rule trusting your father. Just like our little children have to keep our rules trusting us. Obeying God will provide you the best course in life. You want the fewest speed bumps, the fewest bruises and bumps? Follow God's rules. You want to go through the minefield and be dragged through the ringer and make all the mistakes everybody makes who you read about or know in your family? Then don't follow God's rules. The thing is, God treats us like adults and lets us decide. I don't let my four-year-olds make any decisions. I make them all. As they get older, they get, okay, you want life cereal or Cheerios? Captain Crunch! No. <laughs> life or Cheerios? Um, I'll take life. By the way, you new parents, good advice. Give your little children good choices. In other words, don't just say life. Give them a choice between two good cereals. Then they think they're making the decision. And then they won't argue about Captain Crunch. It works. As they get older, we give them the freedom to make more decisions. You know, have what you want for breakfast. You're grown. 
Cook some eggs, have some toast, whatever. I'm not going to worry about it. Can I come home at midnight? No. Anytime before 11 is good today. Anytime before 10 is good today. Where are you going to go? Just keep your cell phone on. Let me know what you're doing. As they get older, we give them more freedoms. Till they get to an age where they can destroy themselves if they want to. We pray and hope to God that they won't. We've trained them. We've equipped them. But it's up to them now. It's up to us now. We're at the age now where God says, hey, you're on your own. I've told you what to do. I've told you how to make it good and right. Don't mess it up. But if you do, you're on your own. It's your decision. So disobeying God can be to our hurt, will be to our hurt. So what I want to share with you for this new year, for this morning, is the two key rules. Two of God's key rules to help you in your life. Most of you here in Book of Life already know these. So these aren't really for you. These are for the newbies. Rule number one. This is the rule that will get you on the right path with the fewest bumps and bruises. It's one biblical word is repent. The word repent means turn away from sin. Reject sin. That's what repent means. Just turn away from it. Of course, you've got to know what sin is. So that might require further conversation and studying the Bible a little bit. But basically, sin is things that God doesn't want us to do. And the whole attitude that goes with it. A repentant person didn't walk with God, but chooses to walk with God. That's the rule number one. And the flip side of it is rule number two, believe in Jesus. They go together. You can't do one without the other. They have to come together. If you're choosing to walk with God, you've got to believe in Jesus. That he died for your sins and rose again. This sets you on a whole new course in life. Now, this course has bumps, too, just not as many as that one. And this course has no good end. This course always has a good end. So you're going to have bumps and bruises along both courses, though this one's usually bumpier, though maybe not always. This one's going to end in destruction and chaos. This one's going to lead to heaven and eternal life. So this is the course you want, in God's opinion. Let me suggest you take it under advisement. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, may we have the strength to make wise decisions, the wisdom. Grant us wisdom and the ability to follow through so we cause little pain to ourselves and others. It's a new year, Lord. Help us to make a new start, a fresh start, a new course. For those who've gotten themselves in deep, I pray that they would know that there is now hope. No hole is too deep for you to bring people out of. None. May they stop their former ways and start fresh with you. For those that don't know you, may you place it within their hearts to know you, to pursue you, and to love you. Help each and every one of us to walk with you fresh this year. May 2012 be our best year ever. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.